My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to Transmissions. My guest this week on the show is music maker, DJ, and imagination specialist Carlos Nino. His latest album is called More Energy Fields Current, and it's out on the great international anthem label, one of my favorite labels going. Carlos joined me for a talk about his process, working with people like Yasos and Laraji, and how hip-hop and sample culture informs his spiritual, improvisational space collage style. We also got into his long history in radio. He was one of the founders of Dublab, where my show on Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard airs every third Sunday of the month. Before we head into the talk, I want to take a minute to mention how great it's felt seeing so much live music announced for later in the year. One name I've noticed on a lot of lineups is Black Pumas psychedelic soul band from Austin, Texas. Their self-titled debut was nominated for four Grammys, including Album of the Year, and after a long time off the road, they're getting back out there with shows scheduled for the US and EU in places like Seattle, San Francisco, and Chicago, and at Lollapalooza, Austin City Limits, Ohana, and Summerfest. Should I fly out to Summerfest this year? My father-in-law's out in Milwaukee. He'd probably be down to hang out. Anyway, a lot of these shows are already sold out, but don't miss the chance to see them live. Grab a copy of their self-titled album wherever you get your music. Carlos Nino. This talk flipped my lid. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please go on and rate and review transmissions wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your word of mouth very much, and we hope that it helps people find the show. If you want to dig in even more, you can check out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. All right, here's my talk with Carlos. Speak more on the other side. Thanks for tuning in. Carlos, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. It's great to have you here. Oh, wonderful to be here. Um, big fan of Aquarium Drunkard. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, the the feeling is is very mutual. Your records are great, and uh, this new one, More Energy Fields Current, is is extremely good. I, I I wanted to start off by asking a few questions about that, if that sounds good. Yeah, thank you. Well. So it, it features a, a lot of collaborations. Everything you do with the under, you know, and friends banner is usually a loaded guest list, of course, and collaborator list. So you've got all sorts of folks, Sam Gendel and uh, Jamal Dean and Laraji and Shabaka Hutchins from Sons of Comet. The Comet is coming, man, that new, that new Sons of Comet record is so good. Anyway. Um, I agree. Uh, but well, but but I'm I'm interested that this pulls from jam sessions that you recorded a few years ago. Is that correct? Um, up until recently. I mean, I finished the record I think in August of 2020. But I was uh, hosting sessions here in my studio all of last year. Um, I think some things are sourced uh, from a few years ago, the oldest being the piece with Laraji. I'm still kind of finding things in the recordings that we did when we toured as a duet in 2017. And, 
Yeah, I kind of don't really let anything go to waste or to get lost. Like I, I just archive things and I tune into them whenever I want to. But a lot of this record actually is 2020 and made very freshly, um, you know, in, in the moment. I, I worked on another record at the same time called Actual Presence that I self-released last year, I believe last July. And a lot of these uh, songs were made at the same time and just kind of, um, yeah, um, set up for release with International Anthem and, you know, sequenced in a way. But yeah, um, the, sor- the, the source is multiple, multiple times. <laughs> and, and, and not just what I would refer to as jam sessions, but really I come from a um, tradition of what would be referred to as spontaneous composition so there there's really a sense in everything that we're doing of being fully in the moment totally expressive and then realizing that we're going to have some some real things to share some things to uh look back at and and kind of say like hey we want to create from this or you know just 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 real something really meaningful um and authentic so yeah that's uh what yeah what you know the thing that's so interesting to me about that is obviously you're getting all these people together in a room and you are you know as you said the idea is spontaneous composition like we're going to make something and we're going to listen to each other and we're going to fashion this into something in the moment is that is that a fair way to put it yeah what do you what do you do to sort of cultivate the kind of vibe and space that allows that sort of thing to happen? Because I, I have to imagine that it requires some advanced preparation. You know what I mean? In terms of sort of the vibe and the the feel of what you're doing, or or is it the people that mostly influence how that works? How, how does how does that come together? It's it's all of that. You said advanced preparation. I would say the advanced preparation is our whole lives. Like it's literally everything that we live, um, tuning into the moment that we get together. And the we is very important. And that, that really is a friend group. Um, I, I don't just have that name in the title of the band, um, you know, for... For no reason, um, these are actually people that I talk with and counsel with and go swimming in the ocean with and travel with and um, make meals with and do anything that we feel like doing together. This is like a real mutuality with a few exceptions of people that I would say I don't know as well or see as often. Um, people that you mentioned like Sam Gendel and uh, Jamel Dean and Laraji. Um, and Yasos, these are all very close personal friends. And that's kind of the point is like, it really is like a life. Um, sometimes I reach out to people that I've never met before, never spoken to before, because I have a, an intuition that we could make something. Sometimes people reach out to me in the same way. And what, what I would say is that like friendships really do uh, arise from that. Not always, but but often. And um I just value that the most. Yeah, I would never really call someone or hire someone to do something specific without having like a real personal connection with them. Because I feel like this, this that's kind of what it's all about in collaboration is, is really like how much do we connect. And then when you have that, when you get in a room, um, it just it just goes. It's It's already alive. There's very little to talk about unless there's something really specific that I want to try or that somebody else wants to try. And that happens occasionally. But but it's really just about like, let's do what we do. And it's a, you know, collective communication. There's a real balanced exchange that's happening. And um, there's also an experimentation. But 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 altogether, I would say it's like a, um, a gathering of expression and, and care and, um checking in, tuning in, feeling. <laughs> so yeah, um, the preparation to me is ongoing. It's really like our whole lives. Um, I think a lot of improvisers feel that way. They feel like um, I'm going to listen deeply. I'm going to 
communicate deeply. I'm going to really care about this moment and what is possible creatively. Right, right. When you're, when you, you know, like let's say finish a, a session, a spontaneous composition session, and and you mentioned that you archive most of the stuff that you that you record and that you do keep track of it. Um, well, for I guess off the top of my head, how how organized is is your your archive of recordings? I'd say it's really organized. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh, I didn't I didn't do this for years. I'd say only like in the last like five years have I been doing this. And so there's you know years and years and years and years of recordings that I never even made or 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 kept track of and and i and i do sometimes wish i was a a better archivist and librarian especially in that part of my life because there'd be so much to tap into um and and i hear about uh legends like brian eno and uh ryuchi sakamoto and, and and other people that we all love who have extensive archives and they even have assistants who uh, are frequently keeping um, track of their their you know like what's on the hard drives, where things are, making sure things are labeled properly, dating things properly. I mean, I I, I value that very highly um, as a collector, as a record collector, as an instrument collector. Um, th- those are things that are are meaningful to me as well, and so I, I keep my archive really together um a lot of my friends do as well like the we, we mentioned sam gendel that that beautiful album that i was honored to be a part of that he put out last year called fresh bread that leaving records then also made a deluxe uh official release of this year yeah that's that's archive you know and and some of that right. might be like i made that today and released it today via my Bandcamp page next to a piece that was made uh, a year ago or 10 years ago. And, and it all, if he you know feels it, can sequence it in a way that it tells the story that, that he wants to tell. And um, the pieces that I'm on uh, on that record were largely from a duet tour that we did in Japan. And I've used some of those recordings and he's used some of those recordings. And it's, it's, it's really wonderful because it just sort of becomes like a very open field of sound source, like what you might want to sample from your own your own session or what you might want to you know excerpt a a through like total piece from a from from a live performance and 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 by live performance i don't just mean live in a venue or in in you know in front of an audience like live in the sense that it's being created in the moment wherever we are we could be in a studio um yeah so mhm yeah no, ab- absolutely. What what are some of the things that you listen for in sessions? What you know, what are the what kind of peaks your 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 ear? Are there are there sort of things that you find yourself drawn to repeatedly? Moments oh, yeah. or or, oh, or yeah. is it sort of a case by case moment by moment thing for you? It's it's both. Uh there are things I'm listening for and it's always a feeling. It's 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 really uh I, I mean I I grew up uh, like a, a very devoted hip hop head. And so the right. idea, the idea of a sample or the idea of a moment in a record, or the idea of something that I would want to loop, uh, and or edit is, is huge for me. And in, in creating what it would essentially be the sample sources with my friends, um, I am uh, omnipresently or some simultaneously listening while I'm totally present in the moment. And there are things that I don't hear when they're happening that I discover later, but frequently I would say that I'm doing some version of supercomputing where I'm like completely free in the moment yeah. and I'm also bookmarking <laughs> uh, sections that I know I, I want to get back to and like very eagerly like yeah, sometimes yeah. even race to go back and listen to again if if it's been an hour and and I'm like oh there's this one thing that was so special and, and and I mean even sometimes to be honest if something is so special in a moment I might even stop before we get too far along and continue developing that idea that came up in 
the the session and yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. and and listen back to it or say, hey, let let's let's not move away from this too quickly. Let's keep going in this space. So, you know, it, it's really an all of the above, a, a both and like kind of like a very yes energy, like of uh, anything goes. But um, those are some examples. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad, obviously, that you brought up the hip hop ethos and how much that has deeply influenced what you do. I think that it's been, as a listener, just very, very interesting and exciting to hear hip-hop production techniques and and the sort of ideology of sampling applied to through artists like yourself and collaborators of yours you know people like Kamasi Washington and, and Madlib and and so many others but sort of applied to new age or free jazz or spiritual jazz or you know all that stuff it's it's just such a to me it it all feels very of a piece in terms of the approach the sort of hip-hop while it can be certainly very economical and sort of tightly edited edited um that the approach lends itself so well to uh expression in these other genres i just think it's such an interesting moment that we're living through right now where people like yourself are are building and expanding and taking apart some of the notions of of genre which is i guess why i like that you 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 call your you know your your style sort of spiritual improvisational space collage is that that did i get that right yeah yeah absolutely and and, and i agree with everything that you're saying um and i and i love all of those artists those are all friends of mine those are all people that i uh appreciate greatly and and one thing i'll just add and and i know aquarium drunkard is known for this uh not only in the uh, podcasts and radio shows and in all of the features but if we really look at the pioneers of hip hop sampling and of sampling in general, because, you know, sampling goes way back and um, there are lots of examples of sampling, but it was really about sound, you know. So, yet, yes, we know James Brown and George Clinton and some of the, you know, luminaries of, um, of, of, of certain, I don't want to just say and pigeonhole them to styles of music, but... There, there are certain things that people gravitate toward the most and it makes sense and it's and it's amazing and, and and you can say in a way that that's sort of the the predecessor of the style that it's you know being recreated into be it uh, hip-hop or or house or um, any any other kind of you know style that's using a lot of samples but I mean the amount that you find digging through, the samples by artists like the ones you've mentioned or like I love to reference DJ Premier um, but there's so many wonderful ones uh, Q-Tip is like uh, a goat to me for sure uh, Prince Paul Dilla of course uh, yeah. Madlib you yeah. mentioned yeah. And, and, and even and even in, in like the very contemporary times I'm a huge knowledge fan and there's and there's so many others as well but but they're sampling anything that they want and they're listening to everything. Like there's nothing that any of these people that I just mentioned are not listening to. They're listening right, to right. everything. They're inspired by everything. They're they're open-minded to everything. Like a, a real hip hop producer's collection isn't necessarily as broad as as a uh, as everyone else's, but like the ones who are deep deep with it there's nothing that they wouldn't uh, consider or, or, sure. or listen to or be open to as a possible sound or sample source. And, and, and I, I'm just part of that lineage that, you know, I don't make the same music per se, but, but I feel the same way. And so what I make is definitely um, in some cases, not all, but in some cases referencing or an ode to that, you know, and I, and I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, so I, 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 I'm curious how radio plays in to how your approach has been shaped. Because that's sort of more or less how you got your start, right? At KPFK with a show. I, I believe your show is called All at One Point, which you started in the mid in the mid 90s. Is that correct? Yep. 1995. That title comes from a really beautiful uh, story that I was inspired by, by the Italian writer Italo Calvino. Um, hmm. 
I believe I believe he's actually from South America. But anyway, Italo Calvino's Cosmic Comics um, had a story in there called All at One Point. Still does. Um, yeah. That was the, that was the first radio show that I did at KPFK starting in 1995, and that um, grew into Spaceways Radio, which I did until 2015. Along the way, as well, I was uh, co-founder of Dub Lab in 1999. Yeah. And I would say that radio is like central to my whole point of view in regard to making records, in regard to making songs. Um, I'm, I'm hugely into the format and medium of, of radio. And, and, and also because it's so immediate. Um, I, I, I love that like however somebody on the radio is feeling they do have the opportunity to express that in that moment and connect with anybody that might be listening. And, and um, there's something very like transitory about it. And then when it's archived or recorded, there's something, you know, that kind of takes on another life. Like it, like, like it almost can become many other things, um, infinitely other things. Um, I think that programming and sequencing for radio and considering the flow for radio because I'm I was never a mixed DJ I'm, I was always a selector and always sort of like a um, a curator or a programmer um, yeah I have yeah I have friends who I consider to be real DJs like Cut Chemist and J Rock and and others who um, you know are, are really artists uh, on multiple levels uh, but but as DJs like I mean like I, I, I'm not I'm not quick to be like oh I'm a DJ I'm I'm kind of more like no but I'm I'm deep into music and I'll play it you know and I'll share it and I'll and I'll I'll spin it um, and I am definitely coming from like a radio uh, point of view when it comes to how I present music and how I present my own music so yeah um, I think a lot of my records play like a radio show and and that that is totally intentional. It, it's totally my my, my vibe yeah mm-hmm. yeah well so did you grow up making mixtapes and stuff did you grow up obsessed with the radio yes i did i did grow up uh obsessed with the radio i was making pause tapes on a little cassette deck uh from the radio when i was a kid and uh I wouldn't say I made a lot of mixtapes because, again, I wasn't really so much like a mix, uh, yeah. you know, um, like like I've made a few. When I, when I first learned Pro Tools in 2003, I was taught Pro Tools by Daedalus, who I'd been working with for a couple of years on his records. And at that point, all the music that I had made had been made in other people's studios. I'd never had a personal computer. I'd never had, um, I'd never, uh, yeah, learned anything. I, I had instruments in my house and would make music, but then I would go to a friend's studio um, or rent a studio and, and, and mix in a studio. Right. right. And then when I started doing things at home um, from the very kind uh, lessons that I got from Daedalus, um, I, I did make a, a couple of mixes that were very meaningful to me and they were totally in reference to hip hop mixes that were made on four tracks by some of my favorite DJs from the, um, early mid all, all through the nineties, like the, the mixtape culture when I was growing up was so awesome. And, um, I, I'm a huge fan of say like the bomb squad as well. And all of right. their productions. So yeah, I, I I made this one called Spaceways Radio Collage, um, and and that's really like an effort to sort of say like, hey, here's my homage to the mixtapes that I grew up with. But I but I wouldn't say I mixed it like a DJ would. I mixed it like in like emulating that, but in Pro Tools, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm interested in the idea of the collage aspect of what you do because it seems like that's a very, you know, I guess maybe that is sort of that that hip hop thing coming into into shape in a in a way, right? Because when you talk about classic hip hop techniques, you are talking about juxtaposition sometimes, and you're talking about contrast and being able to make things that don't necessarily sound like they go together cohesive and come together in a in in a way and i feel like as a radio programmer i mean that's sort of like 
that's just, it seems like you've almost, and maybe unintentionally, but trained your mind to hear things a little bit that way is, 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 is what I, is what I, what I pick up on. When did you start collecting records? Um, well, I agree with what you just said. And, and, and I feel like the big difference and differentiation for me in, in, in referring to the music that I make the way that I do is that for me, it's all about feeling. It's not mm-hmm. about uh, technical, musical, trained aspects, which I also greatly appreciate. And, and I work with musicians who are as, as advanced as, as, as exist. Um, and, and I appreciate all of the aspects but for me to not misrepresent myself, I had to really think about what I was doing, what it meant to me, and how I could um, communicate that. And so that's that's why I've you know kind of referred to it the way that I have. And the collage aspect definitely has to do with what you're talking about. It has so much to do with the feeling of how things go together. Not necessarily like are they actually fitting. Sometimes you you pull something in, in, in such a way and it fits in a way that like has changed your mind altogether about what was possible. Same right. thing with same thing with notes. I mean, um, not 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 everything is right or wrong. Sometimes things just feel a way and 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 and, and that just becomes what you're um, sharing, you know, um, and, and, and that goes that goes for for all kinds of things, not just music. But um, I started collecting records when, I mean, I mean, really I started collecting tapes and I, and I, and I collected them intensely trying to impress an older cousin of mine, my cousin Ernesto, who was the first person to turn me on to, I think all in the same day, he turned me on to Miles Davis, um, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins and Weather Report all in the same day. And I was probably in fifth grade um i was already like deeply into music i was listening a lot to say like prince and michael jackson and uh run dmc and the fat boys and maybe early early public enemy and early um boogie down productions and that was like that that was my my stuff uh, aside from like whatever what other pop music of the day like you know um lots of things come to my mind uh, when i think about that but um I was buying cassettes and and actually I was uh I used to wear these Bugle Boy jeans and I used to steal cassettes. Like I was like kind of a fiend for them. So I didn't really have money, but I would yeah. get them however I could and and they were cheap um and uh, I never got caught, but I did eventually like sort of catch myself and say, "Oh, this is not in integrity for me to like steal." But I was so motivated. Man, I was just so motivated to like have this rad tape collection so that when this person that I looked up to so much came over to my house, I would immediately be like, yo, look, check out these cassettes that I have. And like, maybe we'd listen to some of them in the car. Um, and yeah, I probably started really buying records. The first record I know I bought myself was the jungle brothers, 12 inch, what you waiting for. And I bought it from tempo records on Ventura Boulevard in Reseda. And I was probably in, sixth grade and uh yeah i was a huge and still am um in whatever way i can be a huge fan of native tongues um yeah jungle yeah. brothers yeah. de la soul tribe call quest uh black sheep queen latifah moni love all all of them love them all so much yeah you you brought up you know that you were picking up this stuff you've lived you know you kind of born and raised in los angeles right yeah, I was born in Santa Monica and lived yeah. there as a baby, I think. And then uh, our family moved to Reseda and I grew up in Reseda. And um, I've lived in the city, but I, I live currently in my studio is currently in Woodland Hills. So mm. I, I really have had like a like a an all city um, experience because I drive all the time and do a lot of different things in different parts of L.A. But I'm I'm really like more of a San Fernando Valley uh, resident and person, you know. Yeah. Sure, sure. It's just kind of got me thinking. You know, I'm I'm not in L.A. and I always try to be a little bit careful. You know, when I start talking about California because I don't know it like the back of my hand. I'm in Arizona, so you know, there's like a, but it it does feel a little bit like a like a you know a cousin or whatever. <laughs> California, the place does, but 
I think about the the tradition in LA of the studio musicians there, and and, and I, I wonder if you agree or think that that the um the necessity that some of these people had session players to play on whatever kind of music was going to pay the bills, you know, I wonder if, if you get a sense that that contributes to the overall, uh, blurring of genre that happens in LA and that, you know, obviously you're associated with the kind of people that we're talking about this, this sort of like, uh, truly fusion based, thing that's happening uh I, I wonder if you could speak to maybe sort of the little a little bit of the historical roots of that or if you have any thoughts on that yeah well uh, the, the first thing that i would say is that i just really wish we as a uh society as a people um looked out for our artists much more um yeah i i'm i'm thinking of a dear friend and collaborator and elder and mentor named phil ranlin who i work closely with and phil moved from uh, detroit where he was based uh had his own record label with wendell harrison called tribe records and had moved to detroit from indianapolis where he's originally from because he was um working with motown and playing in uh um, sessions all the time uh, for Motown. And when Motown moved to Los Angeles, he moved a couple of years later as well and settled here. And I'm saying that to say that like, I feel like um, a lot of decisions that are made for working musicians are based on where the work is and mm -hmm. you know what, what they can do to survive. And I don't feel like they should be in that kind of survival mode. I feel like there needs to be way more emphasis put on the development of the arts um, in this country um, and, and probably in the whole world, but I, I would just speak on this country. And um, I think that there's always an, an interest in an outlet for a creative musician. So if you're a creative musician and you're working to pay the bills, you're still going to create what you're hearing and you're feeling if you don't have a job that is actually just doing that. So like say, say anybody that was playing in Miles Davis's group, I mean, they were, they didn't have to do something on the side necessarily, but that's like very few right, people. Right. And those are all, you know, among the greatest musicians of all time, like Keith Jarrett and Joe Zawinul and Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so many um, Jack Dejanet, so, so many masters and, Everyone else is kind of trying to figure out what to do um, and, and, and how to get by. And, and, and I would just say that a lot of the music that's made while people are really tuning into like their feelings, their source, their experience, wanting to report from that, whether they're working musicians or not, or whether they have like a day job and just say like, you know what, I don't want to have the music I make be my bread and butter because I want that to be just a total creative space. You know, I know people who are like that as well. So I would rather work a mundane day job or some sort of job that pays well. And then I'm going to like focus on my music separate of that. Then there, you know, people like myself and you mentioned Madlib. He's, he's probably the person that um, most directly influenced me to stop working um, and focus completely on my music as, as, as the, as my life. Um, I had a few other contemporaries at the time. Um, Daedalus is one of them as well that I feel that way about. Um, and, and I've always been a concert, um, programmer and producer to, uh, help supplement my, you know, creative music income. But yeah, I feel, I, I feel like this is a complicated and complex, uh, question, because you know everybody's everybody's unique and and kind of having their own experience of it but i just feel overall that like the hustle the really intense um like effort that people make just to get by and survive is uh is is sad to me um i don't feel like it should it should be set up that way um i feel like we should all be contributing to funds you know i, I for instance i would i would uh um, if it was up to me, have, you know, money from, from our taxes going into funds that help, um, help support artists of, of all kinds. Um, and, and I know we're, we're spending, you know, 
trillions of dollars uh, in in military spending, and I, I have zero interest in that. Um, I don't really want to get into like a heavy thing about that right now because that would be a whole other conversation. But I feel like sure. there's a massive misguidance and mismanagement of where our collective money goes. And yes, I'm biased and partial, but I think that there should at least be some real funds on a on a on a basic level for every artist that lives in this country and um not just not yeah. just artists but yeah. but you know yeah yeah if you think about it you know the last year 2020 uh and then into this year uh one everybody i know misses seeing music and experiencing it on a physical level but two everybody i know also turned to music so much in order to process the insane trauma and intensity and and sadness of of what was happening you know so i think you're right when you say basically that that this you know art is essential to our humanity uh and music yeah i would is. i would i would i would and, add i would add that it's it's perspective also because for instance the things that were going on and still are going on and that really always go on in this, uh, you know, in this time, um, th there are a lot of like really horrific, awful things that humans are perpetrating against um, each other and this planet every day. And there are a lot of things that we hear about and there are a lot of things we don't hear about. And um, they're happening all the time. And, and, and I feel like removing actual connection within um, humanity, within community, um, removing people's ability to connect with live music, um, these are things that more than anything to me are, are making it more difficult for people to actually have perspective about what they think is actually going on and how they feel about it. So like, I, I don't want to presume that I know how somebody feels about what we've all been going through because it's not all the same. It really isn't. Um, there are very, very different experiences that people have been having and, and will have uh, all the time. But the one thing that I feel like is essential about what we're doing with music is we're giving people this um, openness, this consideration for expanded perspective, expanded awareness, like uh, expanded uh, consideration of their feelings. Like, how do you feel about this information you're getting from the news, or you're getting from your peer group, or your, or your, you know, um, just sensing, or 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 that you read about somewhere, or that. Maybe you get a phone call from a friend and they happen to be living in another part of the world and they're telling you about their experience that day. And there's so many things that are going to um, be brought up for us to then process. And, and I feel like music is one of these things that is going to continue to allow us to open our perspective field, uh, you know, like, like to, to give us the ability to even 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 have a consideration for other possibilities or other ways of interpreting or feeling what we think is going on you know so i'm all for that not only staying present but being even more encouraged in people's lives um yeah yeah mm -hmm. i i wonder if at the risk of putting you in a position to be on a, on a bully pulpit or whatever do you feel like the average listener has a healthy sort of relationship to what music can provide in terms of the sort of context giving and expansion of the sort of emotional or spiritual vocabulary in the ways that you're talking about. Do you feel like, I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at there is I just, I don't feel like most of, uh, most of the way that music is presented to people really encourages the kind of deep listening and the deep engagement that you're talking about because it's almost just thought of as another thing that is meant to be uh, consumed. Well, you know? you're, without, you're, without, you're, you know, without getting too, I don't yeah. want to be too, you know, like, uh, oh no, you know can, what I mean? We can talk about anything. Yeah. And, and I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I think that what you just said goes for all aspects of life. The average person is, is uh, consuming what, is put in front of them and um you know we're we're, we're doing this uh we're having this conversation as part of uh 
a series on Aquarium Drunkard where people go to read about and, and listen to um, lots of really wonderful music and art. And, and that is um, rarer. Um, it is it is it is more of a of a specific thing. It's not a mainstream thing, and I feel that people in whatever um, lifestyle they have, whatever emotional state of being that they're in, they're going to gravitate toward something that they feel resonant with. And the the issue I have um, that I would say is that if if people in general are being force-fed certain information. And by force-fed, I mean they could not not have it unless they didn't have a phone or didn't have a TV or didn't live around other people. The force-feeding of certain media, including the music, um, is, 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 is to me like very uh, like imprisoning. Um, it's, it's, it's not something that really speaks to um, emotion. It's not something that speaks to like critical thinking. It's not something that speaks to like what a person's experience is with it. But I still feel like it can be beneficial. And, and, and I think that wherever and however somebody is coming to something, if they feel it and they, and, and, and it makes them, you know, uh, like I was saying before, consider some aspect of their life in a, in an elevated way because of the way that they're feeling about something that they, are listening to then then I'm I'm glad for that and, and and I think that there are messengers on every level on like every vibratory level and every stage of and I'm not here to judge the levels for anybody I'm just saying like I feel like in every level there's going to be some sort of message and messengers coming through the music um yeah you know yeah 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 in music in music that I do not want to listen to that I would feel totally repulsed by that somebody else loves there's something coming through that could help break that per- particular person out of some sort of blockage or stress or difficulty that they're in. And, and I'm all for that. So I just kind of feel like we're, we're, we're gravitating toward what we resonate with. We resonate with things based on our emotional state of being and our spiritual consciousness, no matter what level that's on. And, and I just wish for people the connection to it, to what they feel, to what they care about. And your question was about whether they actually do feel or do care. And I think that they do. Um, but, but, but it's, it's different maybe than how we, we all think about the things that we're so passionate about that a blog like this would represent because we're like deeply in it. I mean, this is like what we do, you know, like the people who read this blog yourself, people who, write for the blog it's it's like it's like our lives um yeah it is it's it's a way of life average person you know yeah 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 well well i i i want to ask about a few of your your collaborators and a few that you've already that you've already mentioned and i think that that in terms of that notion that there are kind of messages coming through the music i'd love to hear how you first met uh, Yasos. Um, I just reached out to him. Um, he made himself very available at a certain time. I reached out to him in January of 2010, probably like January 2nd. And his birthday was a few days later and, uh, we hit it off immediately. This was January 2nd, 2010. Yeah. And, uh, I just went up to see him immediately and we've been very, very close ever since. And I think that his openness um, to me when I called him is why we met. Uh, My interest in meeting him was just total. I was just uh, really, really feeling like it was time. I I, I was only ever familiar with interdimensional music through Yasos until I was at uh, a friend's house and they were playing Javanese dream bells and I was just like what is this there was something in the spiritual information of that piece that made me so compelled to reach out to Yasos like I had just been given a key to unlock a door within myself to an agreement to know someone in this lifetime and um yeah it, it really was like that I mean we've we've been very very close friends and collaborators the entire time 
And uh, by collaborator, I, I mean primarily that I've been sort of like a business manager, advisor for him. And he's been like a mentor to me. Um, I do not make Yasos music. Yasos occasionally will um, guest, uh, you know, kind of appear on some of my music, but yeah. but but not because that's the kind of music he makes. It's really it's really more because of how close we are that he's open to that. Um, so yeah, I, that 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 was something I've never had um, any trouble with just reaching out to someone, you know, I've worked with a lot of elders in my life and, uh, I've worked with a lot of people in my life and, and most of the relationships were as simple as me saying like, I'd like to do this with you, be it Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson, bringing them to Los Angeles in, I don't know, I think like 1997 or something like that for a concert. And it was the first time they were going to play together in, I don't know, maybe 15 years or something like that. And um, I had interviewed Gil Scott Heron for a, an article that I wrote about him for Herb Magazine. And he was a guest on my radio show. And all of that was initiated by just loving his music, figuring out how to reach him, calling him, cold calling him, and just pitching it all. Like just being like, hey, you want to do yeah. this? Somebody can say no or not answer. And then other times they answer and then you're all of a sudden you're like hanging out with Pharaoh Sanders and you're hanging out with, you know, whoever. Like I, I, I've, I've, I've worked with many, many uh, incredible artists who I look up to hugely. And, and a lot of it is just from that. It's from this thing that I have, which is I have no problem just reaching out and just being honest and real. And what I've been able to offer people has grown it's changed um so when i was a little kid yeah. doing this when it when i when i was just 18 years old starting out with these kinds of cold calls um usually what i was offering was like promotion on my radio show or i'll write this article and you know like like i'm gonna i'm gonna really get you know your story told properly or you know maybe you can come play a live concert i, I don't know so i feel like i feel like yeah. my, my relationships with musicians that I work with really sometimes start that way as well, you know? Um, and, and people have to be open to me too, which, which, which is kind of the point. And I, and I don't take that for granted at all. You mentioned Shabaka Hutchings. <clears throat> Shabaka and I, um, don't know each other that well, but just have like a really strong rapport and we were familiar with each other and we played together a couple of times in Micaiah McRaven's group. And then I played with, Sons of Kemet once when they played uh, like a last minute show in a little music venue that I run in Venice Beach um, under the townhouse. And that just led to us looking at each other, kind of going like, yeah, we should just get in a studio and play some duets. And we did that, you know, and yeah, that's that's how the duet record that I made with Sam Gendel came about. I'd known Sam for a while, but we'd never played together. And we were kind of exchanging some messages back and forth around the time that one of my records had come out and one of his records had come out. And we both sent each other almost simultaneously like a, a message of like, hey, I'm feeling your new record. And then it was just sort of like, why don't we get in the studio and see what happens when we create? And we just do, you know? So a, a, a lot of this to me is very organic. It's very much a part of life. It's just sort of a part of the openness. Uh, there's almost no formality in it. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with like open communication and mutual interest and mutual benefit and then getting to it, you know, and uh, I, I love it. I, I love living that way and um, I recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've mentioned a few times like working with people in duet settings. What do you like about that, about that format or what does the duet format sort of allow you to, to maybe do that? Obviously, you work in much larger ensembles as well, you know. But 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 I'm curious about specifically the duet format. What you enjoy about working in that fashion? Well, like what we're doing right now, you and me, we just met, is a duet. So I'm trusting that you're going to have good energy when you call me to interview me, and 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 I'm trusting that you're going to care about yourself and about me and about this process. And in doing that, yeah. I'm going to respond and engage with you and I've agreed to. So I'm coming with my own energy for it as well. And in this process, we're just free to have an exchange, 
like exactly what we're doing right now. So if you apply that to a duet musically, it's the same thing. Instead of having multiple people whose energy, feelings, ideas, uh, you know, expression needs to be considered and, and opened up to, it's really just more of like two people sharing with each other. And when you open it up, in the, in, the, in, in the case of us having a conversation, you, you would need more space. You would talk less, I would talk less because other people need to, need to be considered. Also, you could imagine that instead of it being like what I, what I see is like a beam between you and me, you in Arizona, me here in my studio, imagine it now as like a hologram. So there's going to be like a variety of angles and light beams that are happening as the ensemble gets larger. So yeah, you're creating dimensionality in it as well. It's it's less like literally like one on one. It's 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 much more like oh now we're dealing with other aspects of space. You do that as a duet in music as well, but there still is the sense that like you're really listening to and connecting with one other being and making eye contact in some cases, listening for every thing that you can, you know hear and feel and and just and just be a part of you know so yeah i i I feel i I feel like it's a dance um it's a conversation um you know a lot of it is psychic in music um a a lot of it is just you, you 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 set an intention and you're always working on being able to show up with your most full most open self and when you do right. that, I mean, it just, it just, it just happens, you know, like, like it just, it just, it's, it is happening. It's, it's, it's like already, it already happened and, and continues to happen. So, yeah. 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 Well, when you work with someone like Yasos who, I, and I love that one of the songs on the new record is Yasos 79 till infinity. So you get like a souls of mischief reference in there. And then is that referencing that's referencing that that documentary uh, exactly. that you can watch on YouTube or whatever? Is, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. You know, that was the last piece I made for the record. It was made to be a bridge between what was originally the end of the record, which was track eight togetherness with Devin Daniels and Jamel Dean. But because we decided to uh, put this bookend of an extended version of the first piece with Shabaka and Jamel, um, I wanted to create a bridge and Yasos wasn't on this album and he's he's among my closest people that I've ever known um, and and we're just so close that I was like, oh, you know, this piece that I'm working on is this bridge felt to me like Yasos music. It was something I was creating with the keyboard. And then I asked him if I could um, sample and kind of process some of his voice from the documentary and he said yes. Mm. And then that's when it just sort of like the reference to the 79, when I was thinking like, oh, if I put the word 79, like it's got to be till infinity because 79 doesn't really matter. But because I put the 79, you know exactly what I'm referencing because you, you're you familiar with that documentary. So it's it, it's kind of yeah. like that, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and this, well, this, this reminds me actually of... Uh, um, of the year 93, which was really interesting because you have 93 till infinity. And then on the same label, you have, you know, Midnight Marauders by a tribe called Quest. And there's a there's a point where Q-Tip is correcting himself on the track. And he said, because he, he says, you know, nine tray, like, you know, 93. And he says, oh, 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 uh, you know, large professor, or he, I guess he called him uh, Eric the P said uh don't say the years so this is for eternity right so he's basically saying like yeah you know we're always referencing the year and marking the year but what if it's not even about that right what if it's just about the beyond so i was playing in that title with that whole concept right so yeah that's 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 what i was doing and well and i don't think it means that much but 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 i'm glad you 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 got it you know yeah well it's i i think it's it's very playful it's fun and that means something you know especially because that's another thing about your music that i think is really interesting and that i really appreciate is the sort of palpable sense of playfulness and joy that's in it um so often uh especially 
music that can veer towards the contemplative can can be thought of as 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 more solemn. But then when you bring people like Yasos or Laraji into the mix, obviously there's just such an emphasis on on laughter and spontaneity and playfulness. So uh, so I I love that about about your records, and I love that there's a sense of both that deep intentionality that you're talking about, but also sort of a, a sense of lightness to things too, you know, uh, because you're you're capturing and presenting specific moments and you are editing them into shapes, but there's always still a trace of just that sort of, this just happened while we were together. And, you know, to me that, that, that makes it, you know, it, 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 it demonstrates the importance of the music in a fundamental way by just allowing that importance to exist. But it's also, you know, you're not presenting it in a way that the listener has to bring a whole bunch to the table. They're just sort of able to experience it. And I don't know. I think that that sense of playfulness really pervades what you do. Uh, and even that sense of playfulness that I pick up in just our conversation. So I think that that's a, that, that feels like it's a very important thing. And it's not always to feel playful and not always easy to feel playful in like modern in modern times, you know, yeah, plenty of reasons to be bummed out instead, you know, I, I am so glad you feel that in the music. It is definitely there. You're, 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 uh, you're, you're getting it completely. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's very meaningful to me, no matter what, uh, emotion is being expressed that I'm like, kind of like, persevering through to the bright side it's just my orientation it's just how i live you know and 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 speaking yeah. to uh playfulness laraji has a uh um a thing he loves to say he says playing is serious business because he's he's all about play <laughs> he's he's all about play and 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 sometimes when when people talk about like hey let's get together and play um i, f- I feel like there are like octaves or dimensions. Yasos is calling me right now, by the way. That's so cool. Um, his, his name just came up on the phone. But uh, there, there are octaves and dimensions to even the word, you know? Like, like what we mean about that word when we say play, it is that total youthful, like, like in the moment, like fully spirited, fully ecstatic energy. And it is like... We're seriously going to get together and tune in and play yeah. in this from the wholeness of of who and what we are, and and yeah. and and those are th- those are not exclusive of each other. Th- 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 those to me are the same thing, but in in like somewhat different octaves, you know. And they go together, and 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 it's and and, it, and there's lots of other ways that people could express themselves about what playing is or what playing feels like to them. Like, like I, I collaborate frequently with DeAnthony Parks and for, for him, I feel like there, there'd be an aspect of like, um, like, like real consideration for the technology of his earth body and how it's connecting to his mind, uh, being, being programmed and interpreted by his soul and then there's a level of like athleticism and even um, like working out and like and like real like sweat exercise in in yeah. what in, yeah. in, in what we're doing too. So it it really is this is a totally multifaceted reality. So like if you say, hey, I'm gonna go play basketball, you might not have the same fun you're gonna have. You say, oh, I'm gonna go you know jump in a pool and splash around with my friends. But the but but the playing on on the level that it is does fulfill these things and, and and there are you know um yeah there are like octaves to it which which uh i i appreciate yeah yeah i i i think that there's there's so many directions that i could take all of that but i think it's just such an interesting and exciting thing that you're talking about happening when you're in collaboration with people and, and you talked about being in duo settings and and sort of tuning into the other person and and having there be an exchange and and something that I think about when I think about people like Yasso so, and Laraji to some degree, you know, is the sense that for both of those people, they're talking very often about how they're picking up on vibrations and energies from outside of themselves. So I wonder how often it feels like 
that's happening in the room for you as well. And if that's the sort of thing that the longer you've been involved in in making creative music and, and exchanging energies in that way, if it's something that you feel like you feel more now than you did when you started. Yeah, it's always evolving. Um, a few like uh, a few concepts come to mind. One is everything is everything. Another one is eternal now. Another one is everything, anything, nothing. Um, for, yeah. for, for me, this is an all of the above. Like I, I don't channel music in, um, in cooperation with a higher dimensional being the way that Yasos does. Laraji La is primarily a solo artist, but collaborates with various people from time to time. And his, his thing is really about tuning into the core vibrations of the universe and, and, and having that, you know, come through him. And neither of them, in my opinion, are people who would say that they are not also involved. They're totally involved. They've worked hard to be able yeah. to communicate um, the things that are coming through them or the things that they are receiving in the way of messages or communication or guidance from be it the the the, the galactic center of of our you know omniverse or or in Yasus's case uh, um, Vista um, so so yeah th th there's a lot going on I would just say I would just say it's all happening everything is everything eternal now like i mean really like these concepts which yeah. are are present in so much of the music that we love they really are the thing you know john coltrane referred to it as a love supreme he was like i'm reaching toward god god consciousness it wasn't something that was separate of him but it was something that he also felt was beyond and and that and that he could pay tribute to that he could inspire people to be aware of in what he was doing um, when they would listen to him, and I, I, I feel all of that, all, all, all of those things, all of those different versions or ways of communicating that are all things that I feel present and and totally uh, enlivened and uplifted and enriched by, like energized by, like it's it, it's kind of the thing, like that's what it is, that that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, well, I don't think I could add anything to that except to. Thank you so much for taking your time to to discuss all this with me and unpack all of it and wander into these zones that I I don't know I f I found it very very uplifting as well and appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about this great music that you've made. Oh, thank you so much too. I I, I want to add one thing which is just acknowledgement of the musicians I didn't mention. Um, Nate Mercero. Oh sure. Nate Mercero and I have been making so much music and I'm so grateful that it's coming out in various ways on, on these records. And he's made huge contributions to more energy fields current. Uh, Randy Gloss, who I know from Adam Rudolph, uh, two of my big bros in this music. Um, I want to acknowledge Dexter Story and Miguel Atwood Ferguson. Neither of them are, are on this particular record, but they're just very, very close, uh, dear collaborators of mine and very close friends. Um, Sharda, Sharshadar, I had to give her love always for her like openness and willing willingness to contribute to uh music that that i send her dintel jimmy tamborello um one, one of my dub lab peers whose music and productions i love so much um jesse peterson yeah i'll just do like a little a little uh roll call here because uh uh, it's it's like it. it's a big deal, yeah. Aaron Shaw and the group Black Nile, um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, thank you so much. This was this was uh, this was lovely. I, I, I greatly appreciate it, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing um, it on the site. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. 
Andrew Horton edits our audio. Visual designs by Sarah Goldstein. And the visualizer version of our show is built by Jonathan Mark Walls. Our executive producer and top of the show announcer is Aquarium Drunkard founder, Justin Gage. We'll be back next Wednesday, joined by a guest I'm very excited about, Tom Sharpling of The Best Show. He's written a great new book called It Never Ends, and you can get your copy now by heading over to tomwroteabook.com. And you should do it. It's beautiful, funny, honest, engrossing, and I really, really enjoyed getting a chance to speak with him about it. Stay safe until then. You can hit up the Patreon for more. And of course, tune into Justin Gage's long-running Aquarium Drunkard show. 7 p.m. California time every Wednesday night on Sirius XMU. Don't forget to rate and review our show. And go ahead and post a message to your social media feed letting everyone know how much you dig the program week after week. We'll be back soon with more transmissions. Thank you.